right? They just mess you up. Hello, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Second yeah, Corinthians, I think. Yeah, chapter 11. Second Corinthians 11. And let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity to hear and study His Word and be grateful souls to have His Word and to be ready to learn through His Spirit with humility and reverence. With that, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our time. Thank you for this time which we can gather together and be together, hear your word, to study your word is and to understand it. It's a wonderful thing uh, to be able to know that through the Holy Spirit we will understand. If there are things that we don't understand, of course there always are, that we uh, have patience to know that, Father, we will be taught eventually as we pursue your truth. You have made us to know the truth. You have created the new creature in the holiness of the truth. And so we are made for it, thanks to you. Thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's made everything possible. So, Father, we understand that all things come from you and that we exist for you. And so as we turn to your word today, we ask for that clarity that comes from your spirit and for us to understand and rejoice. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So, the as we've been noting... Uh, and this this has turned out to be kind of like a mini-series on the Holy Spirit, which is going to lead us to the official doctrine of the Spirit uh, coming up in, in pretty soon. But uh, the Holy Spirit reveals our purpose in life. And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the, the purpose, the very purpose of God for us is made known. And that would make sense because it would be a cruel thing to absolutely know, because you're God, that you would know the purpose of a person and not tell them. Uh, So we have to figure out how it is that we listen and what we listen to. And that is because we're not in heaven. Therefore, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of Uh, things that are untrue that are said about God and about life, about the purpose of humankind, Uh, things that we also, we have in ourselves misconceptions, and we have opposition. You know, there's the opposition of the kingdom of darkness, and the whole system that, which is of the world, that the kingdom of darkness rules over and floods with propaganda and misinformation. And uh, we also have a sin nature within that doesn't want anything to do with this purpose. And so we've got our work cut out for us. Uh, The Holy Spirit proclaims to us, as we've seen in John 16, uh, verse 14, that the Holy Spirit proclaims to us the things of Christ. That is his main purpose in our lives. To proclaim those things and for us to understand them, the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and power and direction and the ability to be pure of heart, the ability to be holy. And he gives us the power to do that, not forgetting that the Holy Spirit is truly God. Um, But all of those things are uh, 
leading towards or point to the main purpose of the Holy Spirit, which is to proclaim the things of Christ. So the purpose of our lives is to see Christ for who he is and to walk with him. And that would mean also to worship him and to enjoy him and that personal relationship with him. So we, when we uh, hear and understand the things of Christ through the Spirit, as Jesus said, he will glorify me because he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So when we understand the things concerning the Son, God the Son, we glorify him. And that in essence means that if you understand those things, you're going to worship him. It's a, if you understand those things, it's not going to be a question in your mind, you know, should I worship Christ or not, that you are going to to worship him because you see him for who he is. And anybody who does, you know, like uh, when he flashes forth at the second coming, it says every knee will bow, right? And that's, that's because everybody is going to see that glory, believer and unbeliever, and they're going to bow. And so, but now in time, before that monumental uh, second coming, uh, we have... Uh, a very quiet, I guess you could say, uh, presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world, meaning not like the flashing forth of what is described as east to west, everybody sees his light and sees his coming. But now it comes through the church, through the gospel, and for us who are believers, through his word. So we know on that that, very importantly, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us anything outside of the word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us the Word of God only, but not just the text. You know, if we think of that, He's only speaking to us the text. The text is in different versions, different languages. Uh, and, you know, the text itself is not what is near as important as what the text reveals. Now, and that's a true statement. You know, to, to know what the text reveals, you can't dismiss the text itself. The text has to be studied. Uh, hermeneutically, as it's said, we have to truly understand what the text is saying and to not mess that up because when we mess that up, false doctrines occur. So what we want to glean from the Scripture is the truth of the Scripture. What we also know, and the Holy Spirit will give this to us if we're diligent students, but uh, we also know that none of us know it all. And so none of us could... Uh, say that we know everything, we're always going to be limited in some way concerning every bit of knowledge in the Word of God because none of us know all of it. So knowing that, so we know what the Spirit is proclaiming. right? So that's an important thing to understand, that we know the Spirit is proclaiming the Word of God. Then we must know how we can open our ears so that we can listen. The great problem with Israel was they had eyes to see but didn't see, ears to hear but didn't hear. And we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And how do we do that? Uh, So, the Holy Spirit proclaims the Son from the Word alone. We listen and comprehend if we're striving to think and live in a holy manner. And uh, I've, I've thought a lot about this statement. I wrote it out, and then I wanted to make sure that it was accurate. I prayed about it. And the clarity and accuracy of this in, is, is for sure that 
And I'm not talking about any given moment that I'm like, for instance, say, like, is this saying that I'm holy all the time? Obviously not. You know, you know, this pulpit would never teach that that uh, we're talking about uh, over years of time, meaning what I'm talking about here is not even one class, you know, one hour of learning or if you're reading your Bible, whatever time that was. I'm not talking about individual moments. But I'm talking about in general, that if we have uh, lives that are ruled by the sin nature, if our lives are ruled by sin, if our lives are ruled by self and selfishness and so on, uh, my understanding of the Word of God is going to be extremely limited. I could be a studier of the Word of God. There are unbelievers who are uh, Bible scholars. And they're clearly unbelievers, but they study, study, study the Word of God. And so what's the disconnect there is that there's a lack of faith and also a lack of faith in what the Word of God tells us to be. So if the Word of God is the mind of Christ, and it is, and if that's what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us, and just say, in general, I reject the principles of the Word of God. I may say that I accept them. But in my actions, I pretty much reject the commandments that are in the text that's being revealed to me. How in the world am I supposed to understand it? It's like, it's like trying to convince something, somebody of something that they flat out don't believe is true. It's impossible until they believe it's true. And so uh, a great text for this is in 1 John 2, 4. Where John writes, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Well, you, can't be saying, you can't say it any more clearer than that. Does John here mean like uh, at you know, 3.10 on a Tuesday afternoon? No. He means in general, as a life. He means the person. This letter is about, and I would say most of the text of the New Testament is not about individual moment by moment, but... What are we and what are we about? You know, do we understand what we've been created for? And do we pursue that? You know, Paul, Paul says in Philippians 3 that I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to fellowship with his sufferings. And then he says, I haven't reached it yet. He said, not that I've already become perfect or complete in this, but one thing I do is I reach ahead to that which I've been called, meaning knowing all these things, being conformed to the image of Christ, fellowshipping with his suffering, knowing him. And see, knowing him, it's to know him and have a lifestyle or a life or patterns of thinking that are out of conformity with him is going to make it impossible for us to know him. So as I say here, in this, in this particular slide, I do not have in mind a particular moment or hour when you're listening to God's Word. I'm referencing life in general. Years of time in which we are either pursuing righteousness mainly or neglecting it. Our learning of God's Word is not only accomplished in the classroom. A great deal of learning is done when daily trying to live out the truth of the Word of God as we and we know it is work to do so at times 
We have to strive, sacrifice, resist, reach ahead, as I just quoted Paul, for the qualities of virtue that are seen in Christ and to do that on a daily basis, day in and day out. And the promise is that when we pursue this life, we'll find it. When we pursue this life, not just academically, although we do have to do it academically, but when we pursue it in general, in practice. In other words, we are very convinced that we have to be this way, that holiness is not uh, you know, a higher option that's only for certain ones. Like, it's an option for me. It's not an option. We're all called to do it, to be it. We're created for it. And when we do that, we will understand and we'll see the Lord. So, This has to be stated. I know we talk about this a lot, but it has to be stated continuously because we're easy to forget and easy to be deceived, myself included, that we will not fulfill our purpose through lives that are undisciplined. We will not fulfill our purpose in lives that are unrighteous. And and all of us have struggles in this. We all have weaknesses. We all have sinful areas. Uh, we And as we'll continue to say, and I keep saying, and note, I'm saying pursue it. None of us are perfect at this. We're all sinners. We all fail. We all come up short. It's even, uh, you know, one may doubt that in anything we do, though it is good and righteous and holy, could, did we do it absolutely perfectly? Could you look back at any good work that you have done that you know that is a work of God through you? Would you look back at it and say, you know, I couldn't have done that any better? In fact, if we look at anything we've done, we probably could find ways that we could have done it better. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. So this is about learning God's Word and being convinced of things and therefore, by that convincing, uh, acting and living accordingly. <clears throat> so, last time, on Sunday, we saw in First Timothy 6 that the purpose of doctrine was to conform us to godliness, which means full devotion to God, which, of course, is devotion to his word and his commandments. Going back to First John, if we say that we know him, but we don't keep his commands, we're liars. But to know him is to keep his commands. And I, I mean their desire to. And not that I'm going to always be perfect. So, full devotion, right? Devotion doesn't mean I hit the mark all the time. Devotion means that I try to. You know, that, and that's devotion's a great word. Godliness kind of gets lost in the, in the, you know, what does that really mean? Being like God, but the the Greek word means to be devoted to God, uh, which in the long run will con- conform us to God. So, with these purposes of the Holy Spirit and the Word clear in our minds, we avoid the pride that can come from having knowledge or from living a moral life. Um, As Christianity, as the Word of God changes us, it's it's amazing that this can happen. We're we're such uh, finite, limited sinful creatures that the very good things of God that he's given us can make us prideful. Right? We're supposed to be humble. <laughs> they make us prideful. Right? You learn a lot of knowledge from the word of God and it turns out to make you prideful. It makes you worse. And that's because and so how do we avoid that? Because it can happen to any of us. 
And we avoid it by knowing the purpose. What is the purpose of the Word of God? To know Christ. What is the purpose of the Word of God? Is to know Christ and therefore glorify Christ and worship Christ. Knowing the Word of God has, is not for me. Now, it definitely is a great benefit to me. I mean, obviously, it's of great benefit. But if that's all I'm thinking about is, how is what's in this for me? And then I'm going to miss it. So I remember the purpose. The purpose of holy living, the purpose of learning the Word of God, is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. To know Him better and better. And, and therefore, develop uh, a relationship with Him that is based on love, and knowledge, wisdom, and worship. Thankfulness, I would throw in there too. So, holiness or holy living is the best life for us by far, for our mental and physical health, for our relationships, for our careers even, for our professions, for our personalities. It is through living the way that God has called us to live that we will find out who we really are, meaning our personality which are all slightly different. But the purest reason for the holiness uh, in us, for God's holiness in us, is to see God. That's the main purpose of it. We all know the benefits and blessings of self can easily turn into self-absorption or self-aggrandizement, promoting myself, getting absorbed with myself. And as I said on Sunday, Satan would love to see you overcome some bad habits and inject your soul with pride. It is by far worse so notice this passage in Isaiah 66. It's the last chapter in Isaiah. It's really speaking of the wrapping up of all things in human history uh, that is going to be uh, wrapped up or completed in Christ at his second coming when he establishes his kingdom on earth. And notice this, pass, this uh, line of, uh, of Isaiah's ending poetry here. In Isaiah 66, 2, he says, For my hand, God says, for my hand made all these things. Meaning, And he speaks of everything here in context, heaven and earth. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. And so, you, know, you know, God says that a lot, doesn't he? You know, I made all of this. Why does he say that? It's very simple. You and I didn't. I made all of this. You didn't make any of it. Neither did I. Nobody does. Nobody has. What have we made? <laughs> nothing. We have made nothing. I mean, we can take God's matter, you know, and take some, I don't know, a hunk of wood and make something out of it. I mean, I can't, but some people can. Yeah, make a chair or a table, a furniture, or a sculpture, or whatever. But none of us made the wood. None of us made the iron that made the tools. None of us made the water or the food or the air or the earth that we need to survive. None of us have made one atom of it. And this is so important. Because in our passage here that we're going to look at today, Paul is going to tell the Corinthians that <clears throat> they need to change. Right? And it's, this is in his second letter. In the first letter, they changed. The, the first letter really hit him hard, as it was designed to do. But then the, the, he, Paul encourages the Corinthians to truly change in their hearts because of who they are in Christ. And then Paul is going to make the case 
that this truth, not the stars in heaven and the earth and the air and all that, but this truth has not come from Him. Paul is saying, look, the truth that I'm telling you, the way of life that's going to uh, glorify God and also have you share in His glory has not come from me, Paul. And it hasn't come from any human being. That's extremely important to know. So in verse 2 again, he says, For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. Right? This is, what is this? I mean, God is looking at everybody. He's omniscient. But this means God's presence. This means God's very uh, nearness. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. What a passage. To what? The one who is humble Contrite of spirit means small-minded. Now they go hand in hand, but they're both they're differently are differently presented. The contrite of spirit is the one who doesn't see themselves as anything, and who trembles at my word. What a difference between a learner who is prideful, a learner of God's word, even who is prideful, and one that trembles before God's word. So purpose of life is found in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that to us if we have this attitude. You see, the attitude, it's not just me being, you know, an academic, I'm going to study the Word of God like it's a textbook or a history book or a self-help manual. It's none of those things. The Word of God is a story. It's an epic story about the redemption of mankind through the loving grace of God and what all that means. The Word of God shows us our purpose. So when Christ is arrested in Gethsemane, fast-forwarding from Isaiah here, quite so many years, uh, here we have Christ in Gethsemane. It's the night before he dies. Peter, uh, he gets arrested, and Peter in his great... Uh, vigor draws his sword and attacks a guard. Jesus' reply after stopping Peter's gusto, and I, the first time it hit me here, just a few hours before this, or maybe even maybe an hour before this, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And it must have hit. Peter's quick to confirm, I will never deny you. I will die for you. I'll die with you. I'll go to prison with you. And Jesus says to him, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And I can imagine here, Peter sees his opportunity when Jesus is arrested to show him, I'll do anything for you. And Peter does the wrong thing. So Peter takes things into his own hands. We saw this when we studied the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This sword that Peter takes out is the wrong sword. So Jesus says, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. But here's what else Jesus says at this time. He says, Peter, you know, I could call down 12 legions of angels right now. But he would not. And this is why he says he would not. 
He said, how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Right? He says to Peter, look, my purpose as the Son of God, the Son of Man, you know, as humanity, my purpose as the Savior, as the Messiah of Israel, as the King of the Jews, as the Savior of mankind, is in the Word of God. It's in the Scriptures. So why would I go about it your way? Why would I go? Never mind your one measly little sword where you miss the guy and hit his ear. But 70,000 angels, a legion is 5,000. 70,000 angels, I'll call them down right now. It'll be all over. I'd take over the world with them. But the scripture must be fulfilled. We must, so you say, well, Jesus is prophesied in the scripture. Well, so are you and I. The way of life, the commands, the way to live, the, uh, the pur- our very purpose is in the word of God. When we live in another way, think in another way, we are off of that purpose. Uh, the Lord himself resolved to live within the confines of what God would reveal to him in his word. And so this is what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. What is the Holy Spirit revealing? It is the word of God. Our purpose in life is hidden in the word of God. I don't mean hidden that we can't find it. I mean hidden that we can find it. So it's like that treasure in a field. So our purpose in life is hidden in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit reveals it to those who fearfully seek for it. I say fearfully going back to Isaiah 66. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and to who and who trembles at my word is the one that God says, that one I look to. So our purpose in life is not man-centered. It's not centered on us. It's centered on the Lord. It is centered on the Lord as revealed in the Word of God. That's where our purpose is. It's not centered on me. It's centered on Him. Whenever an Old Testament hero gets man-centered, and we have plenty of examples of this, bad things happen as a result. Every one of them who do this, Abraham, when he gets scared in Egypt, lies about Sarah, his wife, and tells Pharaoh that she's his sister. This gets him in trouble. Uh, Moses, when he gets angry at the, uh, the, which we all were like, Jesus, it took you 40 years to get angry at him, Moses. Like, you know, it's got to be a record. But he hits the rock twice. He's not allowed to go into the promised land. David, when he gets man-centered, he gets self-centered. He commits adultery and murder. Solomon, who started off wonderfully, who got self-centered and took on multiple pagan wives who infected his heart with pagan worship. Our godliness, therefore, is not to be self-centered, meaning that we're more concerned. Self-centered means we're more concerned with self-fulfillment rather than pleasing God. There has been a wide movement in the church, and this is really quite interesting, that there's been a lot of literature in the church over the last few decades that are self-help books that are Christian-based. Get that. Christian-based self-help. It's all about you. 
and and in that, you know, and there's many in modern some modern Christianity that the main goal of Christianity is to make you feel good and be prosperous physically and materially. Uh, the self-help books uh, have a veneer of Bible verses that promise better finances, better health, better family, better kids, better marriage. There's even books out there that promise better sex and all based on some scripture and all centered on our enjoyment rather than the glorification of Christ. And it's so here's the the problem, you know, the the greatest problem with that is it's deceptive because our fulfillment and enjoyment are a part of Christianity. But they're, when they become the center of Christianity, and Christianity becomes all about us. <clears throat> and Christianity is not about us. It's about God. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about his salvation, his redemption, his word. And when we... You know, when we see that, understand that, and find that, and search for that, and that's when we find ourselves fulfilled. And, and so it's like, you know, it's you, you look for it, you're not going to find it. You look, if you say, well, I, I'm going to set out to make myself happy, never going to happen. I'm going to set out to make myself prosperous. And you might get material, but it's not really going to be prosperity that you're looking for, which is in the soul, which is what everybody's looking for. You search for that, you're not going to find it. You search for Christ, and you will find it. So could you imagine Paul or John or Peter, that they lived the lives that they did for themselves? Did Paul live for himself, for his own prosperity, for his own enjoyment? Let's see it. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.27. The Corinthians were and had boasted about their knowledge, the Corinthians had boasted about their spiritual gifts while they simultaneously gave in to the lust of the flesh. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11:27. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Doesn't sound like a prosperous life to me. But isn't it a prosperous life? It truly is. I mean, this is the life for the Apostle Paul. It's not that we all set out to, to hurt ourselves and make ourselves suffer. That's asceticism. But if it's God's will, then this is the only life for us. For Paul, God's will is quite a bit of suffering and, heart and, and sacrifice. Uh, and that's the only life for him. And how does he find this life? God didn't, you know, all he does, what he does is he follows God's word. He follows the word of God that tells him how to think, how to speak, and how to act. And by doing so, he fulfills what God has for him. Which and then he will say is you know laid up for me is the crown of righteousness. <laughs> I've run the race. I've finished the course. The delight in Paul's words as he writes that, even as he writes it from prison and he's about to be executed, he knows that he has fulfilled his purpose in life, and it jazzes him to no end. 
So, and after this, now, uh, Paul then reveals his thorn in the flesh. Go to chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, and so Paul discovers this. So what would be strong here when I'm weak, he refers to himself in terms of, well, standing up for himself or fighting back against that which those who persecuted him or, you know, in whatever way that is earthly strength or material strength. He has given that up. He said, I've lost all things that I may know Christ. And he'd say, well, you know, that's just for the apostle. That's for the quote-unquote saints with the halos around their heads and not for the average Christian. But that's a flat-out lie that has been propagated by this kingdom of darkness that has taken hold of Christianity for centuries. That this this kind of life is only for uh, an elite few. That's not true. It's a life for all of us. And we trust God for the results of it. So the benefit to this, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, is that God's purpose for our lives is to find him and enjoy him. His purpose is not rooted in our own comfortability. Although in our lives here in this age, we, we have quite a bit of comfortability. But... According to the world's standards, it's not personal fulfillment in the world's standards, uh, comfortable life, more money, whatever it is. I mean, you know the things I'm talking about. Our purposes are not rooted in that. In fact, not rooted in us at all. That our purposes are to find God. As believers, I mean, to find his mind. To, to What are these things that Jesus, I love the way he uses the word things. It's a neuter, uh, it's, he doesn't even use a noun there, it's just an article. It's like, uh, it's a little two-letter word. It's a neuter, things, plural things. What are these things? And you know, he's asking us to search for them through his word. <coughs> now, when we talk about God's purpose for our lives, I'm not saying this is complete. This What I have on the board is a definition. Uh, you know, you could... You could write pages and pages and pages that would be all about God's purposes for our lives. But this is a part of it. There's a lot to finding him, but to also enjoy him. To have joy in our lives because of him. This is what gets all mankind in trouble. Well, not all, but many. they're, They're unhappy, they're miserable, they're bored, and they go seeking things that are sinful to entertain themselves or to fulfill desires. And they do it over and over and over. And it causes great suffering in, in, their, in our lives, as all of us are capable of it. So finding God and to just truly have joy in him. Jesus promised this. He said, if you abide in me, my joy will abide in you. So 1 Corinthians 8.6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. There's two different prepositions used here. One is, we exist for him. The other one, we exist through him. The first one is God the Father. We exist for him. That means for the purpose of him. That is our purpose. 
So literally, the Greek here says, we in him, the Father, and we through him, Jesus Christ. But the English doesn't make very good English. If you read the sentence literally, Paul writes, we in him and we through him. It doesn't even say the, uh, the, the Father. It says the Father in Jesus Christ. And that's what gives us the hint to what he means here. What does it mean that we're in him, the Father, and through him, Jesus Christ, with it, Paul has the declaration that all things are from the Father and through the Son. All things. And that includes us. We're part of the all things. All things are from the Father and all things are through the Son. Now, we could dive into our theology and figure out what does it mean? What's the difference from the Father and through the Son? We don't have to do that here today. Let's say created by the Father through the Son. You know, whatever is meant here, what is true is that together the Father and the Son have created all things. And does God do anything without a purpose? Not a thing. So what is this purpose? Well, it turns out here that we, part of that purpose, are for, well, really the preposition is in, you could say for, for the Father and through Jesus Christ. The work of Christ on the cross made us what we are. Through the blood of Christ, we're new creatures in Christ by faith. And we're for the Father. And so by, and Jesus said, look, you find me that my things are the Father's things. You see me, you see the Father. And so our source, um, our source, the one who created us and gave us a purpose, has opened up the doors for us to see him and there see our purpose. Well, again, it's through the word of God and how we hear is a life that is lived in holiness and righteousness and sanctification. And what if we don't do that? You're not going to hear it. We're not going to understand it. I, I mean this to me as well as anybody. If we don't do what we're called to do, we're not going to see this purpose We'll have maybe a glimmer of it, maybe a slight knowledge of it, or maybe we'll just know that it exists, but we'll never find it. we never see it. And that's something that really speaks to the fear of the Lord. I think we should all fear that, not seeing the purpose that God has for our lives. So as from the front, as we said in, uh, as I said in Isaiah 66, God says, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Now, an example of this principle is Mary. There's a lot of Marys in the Gospels. So this is one I'm talking about as the sister of Lazarus. Uh, She's famously known for anointing Jesus in the house uh, they were in the house of Simon the leper. I always loved the title of this guy, Simon the leper, because he was healed by Christ. He wasn't a leper anymore, but he kept his name. So when somebody met Simon, he'd say, yeah, I'm Simon the leper. And they'd look at him and go, you don't have leprosy. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah let me tell you why. That it's a perfect opening for the gospel. What an evangelist he must have been. But anyway, uh, this example of Mary anointing Jesus's head and feet right before his death it's just days before his death 
And we're told that the perfume that she breaks open is worth a year's wages. So 300 denarii, roughly in our day and age, maybe $50,000 or something. So imagine you have a $50,000 bottle of perfume, and you take it out and you pour it on the feet and the head of someone. Uh, The disciples found themselves, all of them, not just Judas, they all found themselves getting angry at the waste of the perfume. Uh, Mary did what she did, though, certainly not to impress the disciples. Uh, But why did she do this? Why did Mary anoint the Lord Jesus Christ just before he died? She loved him. She had pure love and adoration for her Lord. Now, is that because she was friends? They actually, uh, they were really good friends. Uh, But is that the reason? You know, why would she love him? It's because she knew him. Uh, She was not in pursuit of anything from Jesus, not blessing, not fame, not anything for herself when she did this. She knew who Jesus was and and, uh, what he was going to do for her, and she loved him more than anything for it. She definitely loved him more than a bottle of perfume. So as it says in Matthew 26, 13, Truly I say to you, Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, What this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. And it certainly is. So truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the world, what this woman has done shall be spoken of her. And so, you know, this marvelous um, event, this thing, this done for him, Jesus understands how monumental it is. This is no little thing. He said the whole world and for all of human history are going to know what this woman has done. And why did she do it? Did she want the fame? She wasn't thinking about that at all. She adored him because she knew him. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Five five, Second Corinthians five five. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Boy, what a wonderful word that word pledge is. It is um, the the word means a down payment. Uh, so God has God threw a few dollars down on your finished product. Uh, it means, uh, literally, the word means earnest money. Uh, was used uh, before the writing of the New Testament in terms of banking. Uh, if you had a deal that you would, just like we do now, you'd put a down payment down, and if, if you didn't come through on the deal, you'd lose your down payment. And that's exactly what this Greek word means. So, in a way, God, by using this, he uses it two other times in the New Testament, very significantly, and uh, it means that God put a down payment on you, and if he doesn't fulfill what he says he's going to do, he would lose it, technically. That's just all imagery for the fact that God is definitely going to do for you what he, is called, what he has determined. So, purpose now, again, again, we'll read the passage. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. 
what purpose does Paul have in mind here? And we're going to have to look around this area in Corinthians just a little bit to see it. Uh, but the purpose is to see God's glory so that it becomes us. Now, what I mean by that is, and we'll read the passage in a second, that the glory actually goes into me, in my soul, in my heart. I see it, I understand it, and I share in it. God's glory. So His glory, it's often uh, associated with light, and that's fine. Uh, but as long as we know what the light is, it's far more than just some big, bright, shiny thing. The light is the life of Jesus Christ. And that's the opening of the Gospel of John. The life came into the world and was the light of men. In him was life, L-I-F-E, and that life was the light of men. So the life of Christ is the light. And again, getting back to what the Holy Spirit's main purpose to us is, is to see the things of Christ. So we are to see that life, and that's the glory of God. The glory of God is in the life of Jesus Christ. So, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. I mean, certainly no one else could prepare us for this purpose, but the purpose is to see him, to see the Lord, see the Father, and enjoy that as the fruit of our lives. To be so overwhelmed by God's glory that it overwhelms us. And anybody who sees God's glory is transformed. It's, it really does truly get back to Moses where he asked to see God's face. He said, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see it. You cannot look in my glory. No man can see me and live. So he put Moses in the cleft of the, of the rock. It's, and you know, it's a very strange passage where God walks by him and shows him his back, so to speak, or uh, you know, his shadow, as some people think that means, or whatever it means. It means that God was able to show Moses some of himself, but not all of himself. And now, in this age, through Christ our Lord and his sacrifice on Calvary, that we can actually see that face. The face is in Jesus Christ. And that's why when we look in this face, we don't die. Because we're not looking at pure deity per se. We are, but we're looking at deity and humanity. And so in the face of Jesus Christ is the Father. Just like he said uh, in the upper room, you've seen the Father, you see me. So, and notice the Spirit's role. Uh, no, you haven't seen that yet. First, it says here in five, 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 he gave us the Spirit as a down payment, a pledge. So we have the Holy Spirit within us, and that means that the purpose of God is right there. It's like low-hanging fruit. If we take the time to learn and live, and stay even with all the multiple, however many failures we've had and sins we've committed, millions, who knows? Well, certainly we don't. But that what we can, as we're alive by the grace of God, can grab hold of this purpose because the Spirit is the pledge. That means that the contract that we have with God, this word is used for the sealing of the Spirit, the contract that we have with God is eternal. And therefore, we, the, the opportunity to see and live in our purpose is always open to us. Uh, so, skip back to chapter 3, 2 Corinthians three eighteen. 
But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. A great passage for the deity of God the Holy Spirit. Not the only one. But we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So as in a mirror, meaning that we see it. It reflects back to us. Uh, the mirror could, what he has in reference here is the word of God. But you know he doesn't say that specifically. I think it's, we, we learn from the word of God and from attempting to apply the word of God in our lives. We don't learn anywhere outside the word of God. We don't see the glory of God anywhere else. But from learning the Word of God, it's not just in the classroom that we see the glory of God. It's in life, in daily life as we attempt and try and pursue how to live what the Word of God is telling us to live. So as we saw in 1 John 2, if we say we know the Lord and don't keep His commandments, we're lying. So if I'm a studier but not a doer, or as James would say, a hearer and not a doer, then I'm not going to see it. So we see the Spirit's role here. Just as from the Lord the Spirit, in John 16, 14, again, He shall glorify me, meaning the Spirit, and He shall take of mine and disclose it to you. Now, as Paul continues in chapter 4, because our, our main passage here is in chapter 5, in chapter 4 we have ministry. So he says we, we have to minister. All of us have a ministry in which we're called to serve God. Every one of us, every believer has that. We have a ministry by which we're to serve God. So we're to see God. We're also to serve God. And you know the two go hand in hand. For although we are, and then Paul goes into the fact that we're persecuted in this. He says, although we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, we know that we're not crushed, despairing, forsaken, or destroyed. He uses four pairs of words there. And then he says to us, the life of Jesus is manifest in us because we carry his death with us. And this is the fact that we're crucified with him and resurrected with him. So we carry within us the death of Jesus Christ, meaning that we also know that none of this comes from us and that our sin nature has been crucified. Uh, Though it still is active within us, it has no future. It has been crucified. And we also are uh, resurrected with Christ. We have life with Christ. And so therefore, we, you know, when we go through all of this as we're trying to serve God, we're afflicted, perplexed, and persecuted and struck down. We don't lose hope. Because it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of opposition to this. And if this ministry were of my own creation, when I see you know, the, the obstacles that I have to get over or get through, I'm going to quit on it. You know, if, I have done, if I have made something for myself that is a plan or a purpose and it's met with incredible opposition, I'd say I made the wrong plan. I mean, I've got to go back to the drawing board and make something else because obviously what I've done here is too, it's wrought with problems. But when God makes the ministry, it's not ours. Right? Did you pick your spiritual gift? No. Did you pick the works that you're supposed to do? Ephesians 2.10 says that God picked the works that we're all supposed to walk in before the foundation of the world. They're not ours. This is not about us. Everything is centered on Him. And so when the ministry is from God, 
though we're persecuted, we don't despair. Because as Paul says here, we're not forsaken and never will be. God has allowed it to be hard so that we'll trust and learn how to trust. So then he, he says, look, we carry about the dying of Jesus that we might live, as we know we're crucified with Christ and now made alive. And then he skipped down to chapter 4, verse 17. And after all that explanation, I could have just read it. It would have been even better. Second Corinthians 4, 17, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, meaning of time. But the things which are not seen are eternal, of heaven. And Paul calls it momentary. We'll know how momentary it is when we're in heaven. I don't think on earth we kind of chuckle at this word momentary. But if Paul had a cushy, long life, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his affliction, though he says light affliction, Uh, Paul is not one that had an easy life. But yet from him, he will call it momentary and light. And notice, it's producing for us an eternal weight. Uh, Weight is another word for glory of the glory far beyond all comparison. God's glory has weight to it because it's the only one. Our glory, the glory of man, is vapor. It's like Solomon calls it meaningless, futile, empty, In Ecclesiastes, the glory of man. What a ridiculous phrase. Idiotic phrase. As if man has any glory. So, um, we have things again. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, momentary light affliction producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. Paul does this on purpose. Writes the word things four times in parallel. It emphasizes it. And also doesn't give us detail. Doesn't give us, you know, what are the things? And the Lord uh, or Paul here, which, you know, conforming to John sixteen fifteen, all things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Uh, so, so then in chapter 5, and I'll, I'll end it right here, then in chapter 5, Paul identifies with us all that we long to be clothed with in heaven when the eternal things will be seen. In chapter 5, we have the fact that we long to be clothed in our eternal bodies, in our eternal home in heaven. But while we're not, and we can just quickly read that to get the context of it, which I should have done anyway. All right, look at verse 1. We'll just read this and we'll pick it up here tomorrow. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house, meaning this body, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. 
For indeed, while we were in this, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but be clothed, meaning with our eternal bodies, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So, <clears throat> getting back to what chapter three says, like in a mirror, we look into the glory of God, and that glory is reflected to us. And we com- by, by means of the Holy Spirit, we comprehend it. And then we see that we have a ministry. We have this ministry that we have to work out in the service of God. But while we're doing it, we're persecuted and perplexed. I love the word perplexed, meaning that you know sometimes it's just a completely confusing what is going on. Uh, so persecuted and, and struck down. And, and then he describes it as this momentary light affliction. So in chapter 4, we have our lives on earth. And then Paul opens up in chapter 5. The next thought he brings to us is, look, we groan in these bodies. True. But we have an eternal home that we long for. And because God made a pledge, we will have it. All believers will have it. And so before we get there, we can start living out our purpose now. In these bodies, with these problems, but while we look, continue to look into the glory of God, we see God's glory, we fulfill our ministries, we plow through all the problems, and we understand that we have a purpose. And the purpose is not just earthly, though it begins here. So that's the next verse, verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose, see his glory, fulfill our ministry, go through the sufferings and the persecutions and trials that are going to try and get in the way, know that it's a momentary light affliction that's going to give us an eternal weight of glory. All of that has been prepared. And that is our purpose. So in all of this, have you read anything about what's going to make you happier? What's going to make you smarter? What's going to, now, I should rephrase that. Because this is going to, once you latch on to God's purpose, it is going to make you happy. But not what people in the world think. You know, is it about you? Have you read a lot about you? The only thing you've read about you is this ministry you have to fulfill and the suffering you're going to go through. That's what you read about you. It's all for him. It's not for us. You won't, we don't read about our glory. We read about his glory. And in this, we find our purpose. And, and, and that's what? A few paragraphs in one of Paul's letters. And in the entire word of God, we find how this can all become a reality for us and fulfill the very purpose for which we have been born again. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the glory that you revealed to us, your glory, and for the ministries that we have and the calling you've put upon our lives so that we may grab hold of it. And, Father, depend upon your grace and your patience as we reach ahead to that which we've been called. We ask, Father, that through your Spirit we would both remember and hear and understand. We ask in Christ's name, amen.